Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 559. We really want people to understand that this is being done not just for them, but with them and because of them, and that at the end, it is them. And if car design has that as its core philosophy and mantra, I don't see any reason why we can't all express that in everything we do. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Chris Bangle. Chris, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yeah, let's do it. You got it. All right. Chris Bangle is well known as an automotive designer who started his career at Opal back in 1981. He's an Art Center College of Design graduate whose design career has spanned over 35 years. He moved from Opal to Fiat in 1985, and in 1992, he was named the first American chief of design at BMW. And there he brought a fresh look to BMW, Mini Cooper, and Rolls-Royce. Chris left BMW in 2009 and moved to Clavisana near Turin, Italy, where he founded Chris Bangle Associates, a design consultancy and management company he operates with his wife, Catherine. So Chris, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Before we get into some of the questions, would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your incredible career and, of course, your passion for automobiles and design. Oh, well, anyway, thank you for, for interviewing me. You're it's it's kind of cool. It's kind of <laughs> cool. You know, I made it under the 560 line, so that's neat. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I'll have to find out who those 560 really cool people are ahead of me. So I missed the list. So. Just go to carsyad.com, type podcast on the bar, and you'll see all those other all inspiring people. Yes. Uh, in any case, I was born in Ohio, but grew up actually in Wisconsin in the Midwest of, uh, of the States. And the car culture there is uh, a very Midwestern one. Uh, you know, cars have a, a particular meaning to, to Americans in general that's a little bit different than the rest of the world. But that part of America has a very, um, I think, a special car culture because uh, American Motors was uh, uh, had their home in Wisconsin. And it's not that far off from Detroit, so that the whole Detroit iron culture also filters in there. Absolutely. By saying that, I'm saying that the hot rod culture of California was not a part of that scene, and the sports car culture of Europe or the European uh, type of uh, vehicle designs 
uh, that I could have seen maybe if I lived on the East Coast or the West Coast, I never saw. Mm. In fact, uh, when I was growing up, I, I, mean, I thought BMW made motorcycles, and that was it. That's <laughs> yeah. all I'd ever seen. Sure. And when when uh, I finally got a job there, my my dad was very happy that I finally made it to British Motor Works. <laughs> and I had to explain to him that's not exactly what it means. Oh, but, funny. Okay, just so that you know that it, it's a kind of an isolated area, but in that sense, in car sense. But a very special one because, of course, cars are, are a dramatic part of everybody's life. Uh, you spend so much time in cars when you live in the prairie states and in the in the Midwest, in particular. Oh yeah, and because the distances are are great, and and that was always a nice thing. So cars, had, I guess, like a lot of American kids, had a special meaning to me when I was growing up. And the idea that I drew cars, cars could be a, a part of my life, you know, kind of from day one, that was the way you did things. But the idea that there was such a thing as a car designer, that was totally unknown. And I don't think anybody in, of my peers growing up in America had an inkling when we were younger that there was such a thing as a job of a car designer. You could actually get paid to do this, mm. that there were schools that would teach you that. And to get into that was a rather roundabout route for me. But when it happened, I was very, very thrilled to discover that, that there was a whole you know, side to this passion that I never knew could be my future. Sure. So were you that kid that was sitting in the classroom uh, sketching in his notebook when he was supposed to be listening to the teacher? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. De <laughs> definitely, definitely matched that. But the sketches that I did were not all cars. They were uh, a variety of things. I, I sketched, um, I, I liked motors and, you know, the diagrams of pistons and ah. crankshafts and bearings and gears in particular. And I, I, got, I was thrilled when we had to learn how to draw a gear, nice. you know, in, in drafting class. It was mm -hmm. really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great fun. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you. But as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or some kind of a mantra that you live by. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Chris, take the wheel. An inspirational quote or, or mantra that I live by. Well, it changes over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, when I came to BMW, I was asked to explain myself to the team there because they hadn't heard of me. They, no one had seen any of the work I'd done. And as an American coming into that group, uh, we, there were other Americans there, but still, you're, you're kind of outsider to the to the German culture and to the uh, to the BMW culture, to be sure. Oh yeah. And I was asked to help the new team help the team understand me. So I gave them a set of quotes. And maybe some of those were a bit helpful. I decided to quote uh, great car designers that I knew. And, of course, none of them were car designers. But to <laughs> me, they were because they shaped my thoughts about how car design is actually, actually happens. Mm. And, uh, you know, to give you a, a, one quote that I really liked a lot is by Don Garlitz, the famous uh, drag race. Don has been a guest here on Cars, yeah. Ah, well, yeah. Don Garlitz uh, – pretty much unknown in the BMW culture, of course. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, one of the icons I grew up with really struck me um, as hitting the, the nail on the mark one day when he said he actually red-lighted away a world championship. And I'm sure your listeners know what that means, but the Europeans don't understand the concept of a red light in drag racing does not mean that you ran a red light <laughs> yes. as you would at the street corner. What it means is that you started too quickly before you were allowed to, and your car broke the uh, light beams at the starting gate, and you were disqualified. By that, you get a red light bulb that disqualifies you yeah. because you were too quick. You were too fast out of the gate. You were you jumped the gun. You were too aggressive. You were too spontaneous. False start. <laughs> right. So, um, but very particularly because you're too aggressive, okay? Mm. And when that happened, uh, a reporter asked uh, the king, Don Garlitz, 
so what do you think about this? You know, you, you just red lighted away a world championship. And he said, well, you know, if you don't red light every once in a while, you're not racing. Uh. <laughs> so that was a, a quote that I gave my team uh, to tell them, look, I understand that that's going to happen. Mm. And I expect it to happen. Otherwise, you're not racing. So that, those are the kind of quotes that I, I like to find that are lying around in places you don't always expect to see them. Uh, you know, there's a great one from Gertrude Stein, at least it's attributed to her, where she said, leaders take you where you don't want to go. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to go there, you wouldn't need a leader, right? Right. Uh, when you're in the design business, that's a particularly challenging aspect is getting companies, getting uh, you know a team, getting people to go where at that time, they're not so convinced they want to be there. But later, later, they become that way. You know, I've heard this from several designers I've had on the show here where they talk about embracing failure, meaning pushing things so far to the limit, like Don did that one championship he lost. You push it so far to the limit that it just breaks or it fails, and then you can step back or pull back or analyze what you're doing. So I think that's what you're talking about here, right? Uh, that's one way to see it, to embrace failure, but not particularly because – a leader, okay, let's, if you look at those two quotes, uh, I'm sure Don Garlitz wasn't thrilled about the fact that he red-lighted, mm. and I'm sure he didn't tell himself, well, next time I'll be slower. <laughs> so in the sense of embracing failure, I, I'm sure the lessons learned for that were maybe a little bit different than if you pushed a team so far that they did something that just, just didn't want to work. Yes. On the other hand, the leadership quote also it's a little bit difficult to understand that I'm going to run you guys off a cliff and then step back and say, oh, shoot, maybe I should, just, you know, <laughs> hold a left, a left curve that was slightly earlier. You know, in, in theory, uh, maybe um, a leader is so conscious of what failure means that he is embracing the, the, the risk of it far ahead of everybody else. Mm. Everybody else is just too scared to get even close to that edge. Yep. And in that sense, I think your your concept of embracing failure might be quite close. Absolutely. I'll share another little thing that uh, Don shared with me on this show. We were talking about uh, attributes to his success, and he said, I don't sleep much because I figure when I'm dead, there'll be plenty of time for that. <laughs> so it sounds like something Don would say. He's quite a yeah. character. Would you share with me a story that instigated your passion for cars? You talked a little bit about growing up as a kid in the Midwest and enjoying vehicles, but is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realize that you're a bit of a car guy? Now, whether or not I'm a car guy or not, that should be a very interesting debate I'll let other people have. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think I'm a car designer guy, mm -hmm. and that's maybe not always the same thing. However, when I was younger, uh, my father brought home a LP, a 33 record, mm -hmm. big one of the sounds of Silverstone. Mm. And it was uh, a, a complete, I believe it was a complete Grand Prix of Silverstone mm -hmm. or Watkins Glen. I got to think about it twice. No, I think it, uh, it could have been Watkins Glen. But in any case, uh, you heard all these 1961, 62 uh, Grand Prix cars uh, roaring by with some announcer saying, you know, and James Clark in the lead, you know, switching over <laughs> and wow, some noise go by. That's the whole thing. This is like, you know, 25 minutes of that on one side, you flip it over, you get another 25 minutes of that. Fantastic, fantastic experience when you're a little kid just sitting in front of the record player listening to that stuff. Yeah. Uh, my dad my dad had a ritual, which was washing the car during the Indy 500, which we listened to on the radio because there wasn't any television coverage until much later. And listening to the Indy 500 and washing a car with my dad was another one of those little car moments that yeah. kind of brings you into that culture. Ah, absolutely. Wonderful stories. I love that. Well, Chris, I would love to take a look at just a few of the roads you've driven down and talk about a huge challenge or 
a great failure, there's that word again, but more importantly, how you overcame that situation and what it taught you. I'd love for you to take us to that painful moment, share that with us, but again, how did you move past it? Well, there, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> they say life is lived from, from uh, thrill to thrill or from failure to failure or from success to success. And certainly when you're in the business of design, you move through all of those categories. Oh, yeah. And when you're a design director, they're all happening simultaneously, mm. which is the great thing about being a design director. Mm. It's, uh, it's, you know, you're dealing with uh, 25 pregnant wives all at the same time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And uh, 25 simultaneous births and uh, 25 uh, simultaneous, uh, you know, uh, legitimacy uh, fights in court. Uh, so it's all happening at the same time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, that's a wonderful thing about it. I've However, never heard it described that way. So, yeah, yeah, that's about what's happening. Which is why I think the role of a design director in the car business is very misunderstood and very underappreciated by people who have never been in those shoes, mm-hmm. and by the people who are doing that job. It's very difficult to verbalize. It's almost impossible to explain the the forces that are on you when you're in that job mm-hmm. and which was one of the reasons why it was so painful but at the same time so uh, so wonderful to be able to leave because it's it's a very destructive position as well mm, okay. but at the same time it's very wonderful yeah. however uh, talking about a, a critical moment where something went not as i planned it <laughs> i told you asked about quotes earlier yeah and one of the one of the quotes i'd given my team was from a great car designer great car designer abraham lincoln who <laughs> You know, as a president, he, he's the only president ever to have, file a patent. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, wow. very, yeah, very, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And one of the great quotes he gave, a management quote that anybody could embrace, but it's particularly powerful when it's dealing with car design, is uh, when he gave uh, Ulysses Grant the, uh, the keys to the Army of the North, he said to him, when you are in the field, you are the union by saying that, you know, he basically is saying, I'm going to step out of the way. You have, you run your own show. I'm not going to micromanage you from a distance. Mm-hmm. However, you have to remember that was happening at a time where a general of a large army could easily usurp the president and assume command in some sort of a coup. So to, to have the ability to step back and rein in his own ego and tell his general, it's your show. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever you do, all merit to you because you are the union was a huge, huge, leap of both faith, but also, I think, humbleness on the part of Lincoln to recognize how, how much freedom his, his uh, commander uh, of the armies needed. Mm-hmm. So I told that to my guys as what I expect them to also act like on the model. I expect them to act like they're the design director. I don't want them to stand around and be indecisive and have the modelers just sit there while they're trying to make up their minds. I want them to, to act as if they are the design director. If I come in and I have problems with it, we'll discuss it. But I don't want it, there to be problems because they didn't have the confidence to act on their own, uh, to their own wishes and their own uh, vision. Mm, okay. So that was my message to the team. Okay. Now you have to fast forward a number of years. I'd given a team enormous amount of autonomy to work out of America to discover the successor phenomenon to the SUV. And this team took me at my word and literally disappeared off the map. I think we had a fax number. This is before email exchanges became common. Mm -hmm. So the only way we communicated was an occasional fax and a phone number. So they were as autonomous as you could possibly get. But they didn't have a delivery date. And as time got closer to the delivery date, they uh, realized they couldn't make it, and they begged me to extend it, so I did. And then they got to the second date, and they couldn't make that either, so I gave them another extension. In retrospect, you have to 
realize that a lot of computer designing in this time, we're talking the mid-90s, was in its formative years, it was not reliable. You, you could not set easy to understand deadlines. It was very difficult. Right. But this happened a number of times, like, I don't know, three or four times. And by the time they got to like time number four of sledding, I put my foot down. And I said, you guys either, you know, come home with your shields or on it. You know, either you come on that date with that presentation or, you know, find another job. Don't come back. <laughs> or don't come back. Right. And I slammed the phone down and, and went on vacation. And I immediately regretted doing that, of course, because oh, yeah. then I knew that I screwed up. I, I had interfered. You know, I had not given them the autonomy that I had promised them. Here was I interfering. The whole time we drove to, to Spain, this was at Easter vacation, my, I was muttering to myself and my wife said, are you okay? And I said, God, I, knew I did this wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have told them that. Yeah. So in the middle of my Spanish vacation uh, for, for the Easter week, these people had another crisis. They realized they could not make the date again. And they called my secretary and begged her and begged her and begged her to be put in touch with me to, to convince me to allow it to extend. And instead, bless her soul, she just said into the phone, look, Chris says when you're in the field, you are the union. So you make the decision. And she hung up. Ah. Now, she didn't tell me this. Mm -hmm. And I only found out later when I got back that the team had made a, a minor revolution, had decided to not obey my orders and to uh, create their own timeline, which they did. And the final time came through and paid for all the debts because it was really, really wonderful. Oh, wow. <laughs> so my lesson from that is that it's very helpful if you can concoct a situation which allows your team to rebel against you. Mm. They have to feel they're paying the price. It cannot be easy. It, it, it has to be very stressful. But if you do it in such a way that at the end of the day, it actually does work out, mm -hmm. then you've done yourself a favor. You know, I love that answer. That's one of the most unique and best answers I've heard to that question. Absolutely fantastic. Having worked with teams and design teams, not in automotive, but in other fields, boy, could I relate to that. Very nice. I'm glad. glad. Yes, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when the headlights come on and illuminate your way for a new direction, a new idea, a new path that you have. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. Oh, uh, I had two stories for you on this. One is a car story and the other is the story that I'm embracing at the moment. I don't oh, know. Cool. Which one interests you more? Well, they're both car I, stories. I want to hear them both, actually. I would love to hear them both. Well, do you know the car that uh, was done at BMW called the Gina? Yes, with the fabric over the cloth over the frame. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, the story behind that is kind of interesting because it was an assignment that I gave the non-car design people at BMW's daughter company in California called Design Works. And uh, that company it works also for other people, um, not just them. They do airplane designs and shoe designs. Just did a wonderful shoe for, for, for Puma, beautiful one. I wanted to know what the non-car designer people thought about cars. And so I gave uh, that group, which was a number of people there, the assignment, do anything you want. Just show me what you think cars of the future will be. And they came up with all kinds of weird junk. And a lot of it was unusable. And a lot of it made us laugh about it. And it was just fun, right? Yeah. But one guy, Fernando Pardo, bless his soul, he, he did a, a fantastic job of distilling what sexiness is in a woman's attire <laughs> into a, a shape of a model. By basically saying, you know, there's a reason why sexy clothes make a woman sexy. Because they are clothes. And they do hide and reveal at the same time. They do move with the body. They do have their own vocabulary. And if you take them off, you have a, a beautiful woman. If you put them on, you have a beautiful woman who's now in an erotic statement. And that combination is just there through some simple cloth. You know, how's that possible? 
and he made a he made a wonderful model out of out of uh, stretchy stocking material and everything, which was really sexy and it was cool. Yeah. So we liked it a lot. However, I told Fernando at the time, okay, I'm not too impressed because first of all, cloth cars have been around since the dawn of time. The very first cars were cloth. Uh, you could buy dozens of them in the 20s. Airplanes, when they began, were made of cloth. Uh, every second truck on the road in Europe, the back is made of, of uh, textile mm-hmm. because that's how they open up instead of being made of metal. Right. So, I mean, what's this big deal about a cloth car? Uh, you know, it's, it's functional. You can make it smaller. You can make it bigger and everything like this. Well, I didn't realize it so immediately. It took me a while. But the real uniqueness to Fernando's argument was that it wasn't about function at all. It was only about emotion. I mean, I think anybody would argue that lingerie is not about function. It's about emotion. <laughs> yes. And this was something that, honestly, no cloth car in the past and no truck going by with textile back has ever tried to to achieve. But I had this floating in my mind when I flew out of there to New York and I visited an architectural place called Materials Connection. It's not just for architecture. It's for everybody who needs unique materials. It's a big library of materials. And they had a... Um, exhibition on of textile structures in architecture. So these are buildings and, and tents and stadiums made of cloth and, and uh, stretch materials and solid materials, right. okay. which quite honestly, I, I had not been up on at the time. I hadn't followed it. I hadn't realized the advances that had been made in, in cloths and textiles over the years. They were fantastic. And they had the whole history right there. You could see it. That really impressed me. I left uh, New York and got on an airplane to fly back to Germany. And my homework on that flight which is something you can only do with a couple of scotch on the rocks in your hands, <laughs> is to review the, um, the briefing book on the investment strategy for BMW manufacturing that I had to go into a meeting when I came back on. And this is basically saying that these billions of, of dollars worth of stamping machines they would make a commitment to in the next 20 years, which would reduce the number of stamps to make a single body panel from like seven down to five or something like that. And design had to make the commitment that for the next 20 years, we would never design anything so complicated it would take seven stamps. Okay, this is this is what these investments wow. mean for a design director. I mean, they're, they're twisting your arm pretty hard here and you're making a commitment downstream, but it's it's the, the value numbers are in the, in the millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of for, for a company. Right. And as I'm reading this and looking at these ungodly high numbers, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I just went to an exhibit where they made whole buildings without any stamps. And I just saw a car that was like 10 times sexier because it had no stamps. Ah. Like, why the hell are we doing this? <laughs> and I put two and two together and I, I got off the plane in Germany and I went up to the, the manufacturing, head of manufacturing, who was you know one of my colleagues in the management circle. And I just blathered all over. Oh, there's this guy out there <laughs> making sexy cars out of lingerie. And we can do this because like, and he thought, you know. He's I, gone insane. I, I need to be restrained or something like that. But basically, uh, I got the management uh, so fired up behind this idea of what we could do with a non-investment driven uh, production process that they they spent a lot of time investing in it and they still are and i'm very impressed that uh, that bmw took that so seriously and they made a wonderful concept car for us all to enjoy wow well, you know and i had laura milani on who was kind enough to introduce me to you she of course is the director and ceo of the italian university of design she chose the Gina as her most special first car because she's not really one that drives a lot of cars and engages in cars, but certainly works around that that area. So she had brought that up to me. Of course, I knew what was going on with it back then because I've gotten every car magazine in the world since I was a kid. So, wow, I'd love to hear that part of the story. Very, very interesting. You said you had another one for me. 
this is um, it's more recent, but I think it's almost more significant. Mm -hmm. um, the place we're, we're building here, our studio, was an old set of farm buildings. Uh, this is a vineyard area. So when I say farms, by that I mean vineyards. And uh, it had been abandoned for, for a long time. So we're rebuilding it, but we're doing it in a manner which is not returning it back to its original form. It's keeping as much of that as possible. We're, we don't destroy if we don't have to. But the new parts are blended into it. And it's kind of an interesting mix of old and new and things like this. And I'd asked my son, who Derek, who studies architecture, to ask for an opinion on what architectural style we are using. And he said, we're using Kintsukoroi. Now, I would really invite your, your listeners to look up uh, Kintsukoroi. This is spelled with a K, mm -hmm. Kintsukoroi. It's a Japanese word. Yep. And you will see pictures of pottery or ceramics which have been cracked or damaged or broken and then repaired with gold or silver so you see all the crack lines yes. but now it's like perfect finish again in gold or silver yes and what Derek was saying he said you know you're not trying to bring it back to an ideal original condition because first of all it never existed and second of all it would be useless in that case what you're trying to do is make the repair job look so interesting and you and unique and, and intriguing and, and stimulating that in the end, it, it's a happy combination that, well, it's good it was broken because the fixed job is so nice. Yes. And that, that concept, my studio, we talked about in the studio here and the studio loved it. And we, we took a number of experimental routes down what Kintsukuroi could mean. And what I've come to realize is as a philosophy for design, and by that I mean not just design of objects that are brand new, but our world, which needs a lot of designing. I would invite your listeners to really look into that as a kind of a life philosophy, because it's not about trying to to return the world to some sort of idealistic condition that it never was in. It's not about lamenting a past that's not there. It's about embracing the cracks in the world and the problems and the failures and, and, mm -hmm. and fixing them in a way which is so cool and, and so well done and so innovative that everybody goes, well, you know, it's a good thing it was broken because your fixing job was really, really cool. Uh, you know, you got me so excited here because my father introduced me to that. He was an architect like your son, and he introduced me to that. Uh, I was actually made in Japan. Japan, which is a funny side note for the listeners out there. My parents were living in Japan when I was uh, uh, started in this world, I guess you could say. And he introduced me to that concept. And I love the fact that you're embracing that and using it. I even wrote about it in one of my blogs here at Cars. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with it and encourage the listeners to look it up. And I'm so excited. I can't wait to see what you do and how you bring this old vineyard farm back to life. Fantastic. And for those of you that would like to learn a little bit more about Kintsukuroi, it's spelled K-I-N-T-S-U-K-U-R-O-I. There'll be a link on Chris's show notes page on the Cars yeah! website. Chris, I'm having so much fun and our talk is going long that I would love to turn this show into two shows for the listeners. So that's what I'm going to do. So this is the end of part one with my talk with designer Chris Bangle. Tune in to Cars yeah! show number 560. You made it to 560. And you'll get to listen to the second half of my talk with this amazing designer. And before we go, here's a quick word from our Cars Yeah! sponsor. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chris, 
vkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, FINRA SIPC. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!